Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. All right. For those that are left here with us in the building or at home, wherever you may be joining us, would you grab your Bibles? I'm going to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. But I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to break it out. I'm going to read, I'm going to read from the CSB. That's typically what we use here in New City. But whatever Bible you have, it would be great if you could join me. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. This is a continuation of our series that we're calling Authentic Church. And today's focus is on prayer. Hopefully you're there now. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Listen carefully. This is God's word to us. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. This is the word of the Lord. God is good, and all the time, he is good. Today, we're continuing this series and looking at how the authentic church prays, the authentic church prays, but one of the challenges is, if we're honest, you and I struggle with prayer. Uh, We struggle with prayer for several reasons. One of them is just time. It feels like uh, prayer gets crowded out by everything else, doesn't it? If morning is busy, it's hard to just get that time in to pray. Sometimes we even read our Bibles, but we don't have time to actually engage God over it. And so we struggle with prayer when it comes to time. But we also struggle with prayer when it comes to just energy. Uh, Prayer can energize us, but it also takes faith to pray. And sometimes praying in faith takes energy from us. And so sometimes praying just seems like this daunting task because we lack energy. But one of the other reasons that we struggle with prayer is just doubt. We struggle to wonder if prayer is actually effective. I remember one of the hardest times I had in the midst of planting this church was just praying for things that I knew, I just knew they were part of God's plan, and they never happened. And they just never happened. And so struggling with, well, what do I do with that? And, and what do I do with the fact that I've prayed for these things that seem clear in Scripture, but they haven't happened? Is prayer even effective? I don't know if any of those struggles with prayer uh, sound familiar to you, but one of the things I find that's underneath all that, underneath the prior, prioritization of our time, underneath the energy struggle, underneath the doubts, is that we often forget what God holds out to us through prayer. We often struggle 
to remember everything that God offers us when we pray. Sky Jathani is a Christian author and speaker, and he went to New Delhi with his father. And as Sky Jathani and his father were walking through the streets of New Delhi, they encountered a boy who lived on the streets and was wearing tattered clothes and just looked like he was famished. And Jathani said, as he saw this boy, the boy was skinny as a rail and naked but for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. In other words, this boy was very malnourished. And the boy came up to Jathani and his father and looked at his father and said, one rupee, please. Can I please just have one rupee? And the father, Sky's father said, what? And the boy said, just one rupee, please. And the father kind of smiled and looked at the boy and said, one, why didn't you ask for five? Well, the little boy thought that Jathani's father was making fun of him. So instead of smiling back at the father, he had this look of disgust and frustration and turned around and stomped off until he heard Jathani's father jingle coins in his pocket. The boy stopped and turned around and Jathani's father had a five rupee coin placed it in the boy's hand, and the boy was stunned. He didn't, he didn't know what to do. This was beyond what he had asked for. And the little boy broke into this, thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why was he stunned? Well, he, he didn't believe that Jathani's father was actually going to offer him beyond what he asked. I mean, he couldn't see what was in the father's pocket, so he didn't know what was possible for the father to hold out to him. And I think that's a good picture for us of prayer. Uh, We're not often sure what to ask for. We don't know what God has promised. We don't see what he holds out. And we don't believe everything that he offers to us through prayer. Theologians call prayer a means of grace. A means of grace. And that means that it, it is God's ordained path for his people to access his purposes in their individual lives and as a church and as we live out his kingdom in the world. And as we look through the Bible, there are so many practical examples of prayer. Uh, Praying when you're anxious. Praying when you're in need. Praying when you're sick. God listens when we pray for a change in circumstances around us. But... There's something deeper, I think, that we can see today in this prayer, something that God holds out for us, something that he offers for us to see and believe. And it's not necessarily a change in our circumstances. It is a change in us through prayer, a change in us through prayer. And this morning, I hope that as we go through this prayer of Paul, you will see his power that's offered to you through prayer you will see the hope that you can grab hold of in prayer, that you will grow in confidence before God in prayer. Paul writes this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, from prison, and he writes it to the people of Ephesus. And now Ephesus was a contested spiritual space. What that means is it was a place of great spiritual warfare. If you read in Acts 19, when the Ephesian church was started, there was all sort of false gods, there was idolatry, there was all sorts of conflict because the power of Jesus had come in and disrupted all these idols and demonic activity. And in spite of all that, the Ephesian church blossomed. They were a united, diverse church, 
And Paul starts off his letter by giving thanks for them. In verse 15 and 16, he says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my what? In my prayers. The Ephesian church had a great faith in Jesus Christ and they had great love for one another. And it's interesting that Paul starts off, we sense his joy in prayer over what God is doing in the Ephesian church, over what God has already done. And I think there's something there for us right away. Often our prayers get dry and we forget what God has already done in bringing us to Christ. That is a spiritual miracle that any one of us would actually confess the Lord Jesus Christ out of dry and dusty and sinful hearts. That is a reason to rejoice in prayer. As I look out over you, each of you is a spiritual miracle. And the fact that we love each other is only work of God in us. Have you spent any time like Paul did just thanking God that you're a Christian, that God has saved you, that he saved those around you, and that we have love for each other? God has already worked among us, us, and Paul encourages us to acknowledge so in prayer. But then he says this in verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, simply put, Paul is praying for the Ephesian church that they would know God better. He's praying for God to help them know God better. And we need God's help to know him better as we study him in his word because our minds are finite and God is infinite. I mean, even just in this verse, Paul has mentioned the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned the Holy Trinity. And who perfectly understands the Trinity? None of us. Yet God wants us to know him because the Trinity is a relational three-in-one God. And so Paul prays that we would know God. And this isn't the Wikipedia type of knowledge where we can just look it up and learn facts. This is a relational knowledge that as we know God through prayer, it changes and transforms our soul. It's not something that we can do to ourselves by looking up information. It is only something that as we come before God and learn about his character and learn about his promises and learn about his purposes and know his love for us through prayer that we are changed. In fact, this is such a spiritual miracle that happens among us that Paul calls it enlightenment. In verse 18 and 19, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be able to grasp God's hope, God's wealth, and God's power. First of all, he prays for the Ephesians to know the hope of his calling. He doesn't say to know a hope, and he doesn't say our calling. He says the hope of God's calling. And what he means by that is the gospel call that we have received as sinners, that through Jesus Christ, we have a great hope because sinners like us have been forgiven and saved. 
That's why Paul starts this passage by saying, uh, he says at verse 15, this is why, for this reason. Some versions he'll say therefore. And whenever there's a therefore, you have to go back and see what the therefore is there for. So what is his point? Where is he drawing all this hope? Well, let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 2, the second verse of Ephesians says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is God, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope, say hope, in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And then we come to our passage where Paul says, this is why. I hope you're overwhelmed with what I've just read and you go, I don't know how to process that all. Because verses 2 through what we read at the end of 14 is literally a feast of gospel hope that is for you. About your identity in Christ, about what it means to hear the gospel call and what's true of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. That God's posture towards you now is one of grace and peace. Your identity is now in Christ. You have been chosen by God and set apart by him for his purposes. And God has done this not because you have performed, but because he loves you and has adopted you as his child. Not only has he just given you a little bit of grace, but he has lavished it on you unto your redemption so that your past no longer defines you, your sin no longer defines you, but what Jesus did on the cross won forgiveness for you. You are now part of his purposes in the world. Everything that he has eternally will be yours one day, and just to show you that he's serious about giving you all things that are his, he has put the very spirit of God in you right now as a down payment of what's to come. Do you, do you see the hope that you have in the gospel? When Paul says, I pray that you would know the hope of your calling, this is what he's talking about. But all too often we function in this life as if we are without Christ. 
In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul has reminded the Ephesians that there was a time when they were without Christ and therefore they were without they were without hope and without God in the world. But now, if you are in Christ, hope is yours. A hope so deep and wide and broad that you actually have to pray about it in order for your heart to, to take it in and understand it. And I want to encourage you. Pray that you would know the hope of God's calling in the gospel. Pray for yourself that you, your heart would be enlightened to it. Pray for others that they would live in the hope of the calling of God in the gospel. See, all too often we look at this idea of who we are in Christ and all the hope that we have in him, and we think somehow it has something to do with us. Like it's based on how well I'm living my Christian life. Like it's conditional on my behavior. And therefore, we live our life as if we are on thin ice with God. And there's no hope in that. R. Ken Hughes tells a story about a man who was walking down a path in winter. And he came to a river and he saw that the river was frozen over. But he was afraid that the ice would be thin and would not hold him. So he got down on one knee and touched the ice with his hand. And it seemed okay, so he put his hand out on the ice, and then he put his second hand out on the ice, and slowly he made his way uh, like a cat on all fours across the ice until he was halfway, every bit of the way afraid that the ice would not hold him and that it would crack, and then he heard this terrible noise. It was not the ice cracking, though. He turned back and he looked to the road and he saw a carriage being pulled by horses coming down the road straight for the ice. And as he sat there in the middle of the ice, afraid that it would break, the carriage pulled by horses left the road, went right onto the ice, one-fourth of the way across, passed him halfway across, three-fourths of the way across, the ice was still holding strong, and the carriage exited on the other side, no problems at all. At that point, the man had to stand up and just continue to walk across. But what a picture of what we operate, how we function with God, as if the gospel can't hold us in our relationship with him. As if somehow this foundation, the gospel, is going to crack at some point. And when we operate that, day, that way, you know what it does? It makes for very weak prayers. Because rather than charging ahead with faith in who God has said we are, we grovel, we crawl, one step at a time, not trusting in the foundation that he has laid for us to know through prayer and to grow in through prayer. Friends, God wants you to know the hope of his calling in the gospel. But he also wants you to know the wealth. What does that mean? Pray to know the wealth well, in verse 13 and 14, Paul talked about uh, an inheritance that you have coming in eternity, and the Holy Spirit is a down payment of that. In other words, God wants you to know and be so understand that he is committed to loving you for eternity, that he's put God himself, the Holy Spirit, in you now. But the language is different here in verse 18. In verse 18, he doesn't talk about our inheritance. He says... What is the wealth of his 
glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, that's important because he's not talking about something that's ours. He's talking about something that's God's. What is it? Us. In other words, just as we are looking for an eternal treasure in heaven, so we will be God's treasure for eternity. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. That is to say that God looks forward to being with his people for all of eternity. We are precious in his sight. We are his treasure. Our doctrine of faith is called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the first question says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Amen. But what this says here is that we will be God's glorious treasure that he will enjoy forever. That we are the ones that God has set his affection on and he delights in. Not because of our performance, not because of our perfection, but because he has chosen to love us. Now, it makes me wonder about my dull prayers, about the little faith I go into prayer time with. What's, where does that come from? Uh, is that because God is dull? Or is that because I'm dull? Is that because my faith is dull? Is that because I'm projecting my dullness onto God rather than reveling in the fact that we together are the very objects of his affection? Where's the dullness in that? The infinite God of the universe through Jesus Christ has chosen to love you when you were sinner unto eternity. It makes me realize that I often project my dullness onto God rather than appropriating God's delight for me. Now, the word appropriate is used a lot in our culture, and there's a lot of controversy around it. And appropriating something is taking something that's not from your culture or not from your people and using it for yourself. And there's a lot of good controversy there. There's a lot of room for discussion. But what Paul is telling us here is that we are to appropriate God's delight over us in our lives. We are to take it and make it our own because it is true of how God views us. He delights in us. We are his treasure. And he wants us to enjoy him forever based on the fact that he delights in us. It makes me wonder, I mean, even as we go through the F-260, right? You've already struggled. I know you have. Some of you have got up and you're like, I can't do this anymore. This is just such a duty I'm having a hard time actually enjoying this. I'm going to quit. But have you approached even your Bible reading as a way to delight in God who delights in you? Have you approached your Bible reading out of a dull spirit or out of the sense of delight in him that you might know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I mean, think if you took that in, how would it change your posture in prayer? to know that you are his inheritance. How would it soften your dry heart? I mean, would it even change your faith in the midst of bad circumstances as you pray? 
Tim Keller in his book on prayer talks about imagining that there's this little eight-year-old boy and, um, and the little boy has like a broken toy truck and he's angry about it and he's frustrated about it and he's banging on it. He wants it to be fixed. And then his father comes in and says, hey, I've got some great news for you, eight-year-old little boy. We found out that we have a distant relative who has left us an inheritance, who is infinitely wealthy. And we can do anything we want. We can pay for anything we want. We can get you 10 million trucks if we want. We have access to that wealth. And what does the little boy do? My truck's broken. I want to fix my truck. Because he doesn't have perspective. He doesn't have the cognitive capacity to understand the wealth that is his. In the same way, you and I don't have the spiritual ability apart from prayer to grasp the great wealth that God has and the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So pray. Pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to know the wealth of his inheritance in us together. Pray that for your family. Pray that for others. Pray that for yourself, that you would rest in his delight and pray to know the wealth just as we lastly pray to know his power. In verse 19, he says, and to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Now, I love that it says his power is not against us. It is toward us. It is for us. It is for our benefit. Well, how much power? How much power are we talking about here? You know, my kids ask, how much? What's great power? Well, how great? Immeasurably great power. Immeasurably great power that we don't know how to categorize. And that power can be known through prayer, but often comes to expression as we pray. Paul prays that our hearts would be open to that power. See, we often think that somehow God's power gets released when we're powerful. But God's power is enough without your power. And what that means is you can admit your powerlessness and his power is available to you in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your troubled marriages, in the midst of your besetting sins. It's available to you in spite of your personality flaws. God's power is there for you as you struggle to repent and in the midst of spiritual warfare, which is what Paul means the Ephesians to understand. Well, some of us ask, okay, but isn't God going to do what he's going to do? Like, do do we even need to pray? I mean, if God's powerful, isn't he just gonna act? Does he need us to help him by praying? Yes. God doesn't need our help, but he chooses to express his power, his sovereign, mighty, immeasurably great power as we pray to him. The Super Bowl's coming up, and a few years ago was one of my favorite Super Bowl commercials for a luxury car. And one of the, um, one of the things about this luxury car was it had an ignition starter that you could start the car without being in the car. And it was at the same time that Star Wars was really big, and there was this great commercial for this car where this little boy about this big went outside in a Darth Vader outfit, 
and he went up to the luxury car and he went like this to use the force to turn the car on. I don't know if you remember this commercial, it's really cute. Well, his father was inside with the power of the key fob. And as the little boy raised his hands, the father hit the ignition on the key fob and the car roared to life. And the little boy heard the car roar to life and he didn't know what had happened. The father was behind him all the time. Now, now who did that? Well, the father did. The father turned the car on. It was, his, it was the power in his hands. But yet as the little boy raised his hands, it was at that moment that the father chose to express his power because the little boy acted in faith. Now, now there's, there's a lesson for us there, not in trusting in the force, but in trusting in the father and raising our hands in prayer. He chooses to act and he chooses to release his power as we pray. And we need to pray that we would live in the faith in that power because it's hard for us to even imagine that God would express his power or we could know his power. That's why we look to Jesus. The mighty working of his strength came to greatest expression through what Jesus has done for us. We didn't read this in the beginning, but Paul closes this little prayer in verse 20 by saying, he, God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority power and dominion and every title given not only in this age but also in the one to come there's one more slide and he subjected everything under his feet under Jesus's feet and appointed him Jesus as the head over everything for for the church which is his body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way That is to say, the greatest expression of God's power is in Jesus defeating sin and death, kicking open that tomb and rising from the dead and being exalted to the right hand of the Father where he has all authority and all power in his hands so that all the power he has is above any power that has or will exist. And he expresses this power for his glory. That's true, but it says the church. For the church. So friends, if that's true, then let's pray. Then let's pray. Let's pray to know the hope of his calling. Let's pray to know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's pray to know his immeasurably great power. Let's pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open to see all that God holds out to us prayer. Amen? I want to create a time here as we wind down our time together where if you want to come forward and pray, you want to kneel or you want to stand or you want to say, my prayers are weak, help me pray God, that you can come forward and pray. We're going to open up as the band begins to play some music. Um, We're just going to open it up and you can come and pray. If you want me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. If you want to come and kneel and just ask God to increase your prayer, come and pray. If you want to come and stand and raise your hands in prayer, come and pray. Amen.
Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you would answer the prayers of everyone that has prayed in this room right now, not because they're good or they've been perfectly faithful, because you're good and your power is for us as the church. Oh, Lord, even as I prepared for this sermon this week, I, I got into a rut of just uh, self-pity. I don't pray enough. And just self-condemnation. Oh, but thank you for giving me the eyes to see your goodness towards me, your grace towards a spiritually weak man. And, Lord, I pray that you would increase my prayer. We pray that you would give us the eyes to see the power of the gospel, the calling and hope in the gospel, and the wealth we have and you have invested in us as your people. We thank you, Lord. We pray for those who are wrestling in faith, that you would meet them where they are. We pray for those who want to know you better, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. And we pray that your power would be among us mightily. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.